For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Paul John Spaulding. Joining me is Teresa Payton, the former White House CIO, to talk about password managers. Teresa, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Paul. I always enjoy our conversations. Well, Teresa, unfortunately, we have you on a lot of the times for tough conversations, difficult subjects. And this is something that I think bleeds a little bit into two categories. One is the consumer category, and the other is a small business category. Even big businesses have to deal with this. So according to TechCrunch, LastPass confirmed that cybercriminals stole a backup copy of its customers' password vaults. This is the second time that LastPass got hacked. And in addition to that, Gen Digital, which was previously Symantec and Norton LifeLock, informed its customers recently that hackers broke into Norton Password Manager and accessed 8,000 user accounts, and that's according to PCMag. Teresa, for me, the big question, I think in everyone's minds and certainly in mine, is what should we do now if you were a user of these password managers? These are really serious hacks, or are they? Maybe you could put that in context for us. Well, they are serious hacks from the standpoint of we're not exactly clear on what data was encrypted and therefore unusable by the hackers unless they have access to the de-encryption keys. So we need a little bit more clarity from these organizations. And, you know, any password vaults and managers out there, and candidly, any businesses that collect sensitive information, you should definitely be using a variety of different layers of encryption as part of your strategy. Assume compromise. You are going to be breached at some point. And if you are storing something as sensitive as people's logins, to corporate systems, their personal bank accounts, you have an accountability to make sure that when that break-in happens, that that data is rendered useless. And one of the best ways to do that is multiple layers of encryption. So I've got a lot more questions than I have answers at this point, Paul. So I would tell everybody, no need to panic, but you do need to take some steps out of an abundance of caution to ensure that one, you can't be socially engineered by cyber criminals. You know, they never let a crisis go to waste. So they may target these password vault customers and say, you know, your information's on the dark web. Click on this helpful link to see where it is. Don't fall prey to that. Secondly, another thing to do out of an abundance of caution is consider looking at your password vaults the last time you changed your strong password to keep it locked and consider possibly changing some of your passwords, your account names, maybe getting a new email account for some of your more sensitive accounts like your bank account, healthcare insurance, and for corporations for your system admin accounts. Teresa, I think if someone approached you, maybe a family member who's maybe not as tech savvy as you are, and they were using one of these managers or another manager that was breached, I mean, we're talking about just two examples, but there are always cyber issues going on, unfortunately. I mean, changing the passwords, of course, that makes total sense. Looking at their most sensitive accounts, again, makes sense to me. But would you advise them to get off that platform? Or would you say, hey, wait and see where the cookie crumbles, so to speak? Or how would you ask them to navigate that? Great question. And what I would say is the answer depends. You know, if you're a large enterprise, depending upon one of these password vaults, it could be really disruptive to just rip it out and do nothing instead or replace it with something else. So obviously think about planning. What I would tell people personally and professionally is before you change vaults or abandon having a vault, 
consider looking at all of your most important accounts and making sure that you actually have multi-factor authentication turned on. Because even if somebody figures out your username and maybe has access to your password, if you have multi-factor authentication, they can't unlock that last lock unless you give them the code. So this is where social engineering campaigns are getting very sophisticated. So again, be very alert and very aware. You could have somebody trying, it goes to your phone, and you could get a, you know, quote, fraud alert saying, just give us your code because we're going to lock down your account and you're busy and you're multitasking and other things are going on. The next thing you know, you've turned over that multi-factor authentication code to the bad guys. So again, consider changing passwords, but the best thing you can do right now is multi-factor authentication. Make sure that's turned on and be very alert for fraudulent schemes somebody texting you, somebody emailing you saying, there's nothing to fear. There's an alert. We're locking down your account. Just hand us your code. Now, something, maybe a last piece of the puzzle for some select password manager users is, as I was doing research for this podcast and us talking together, I found out that you can store some very, very personal info beyond password login info. And social security numbers, credit cards, debit cards can also be linked to a password manager to remember it or autofill it in certain websites, depending on what those forms are. If you have that information in there, does your response change? Because at that point, it almost seems like you're putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. I don't know if that's a correct analogy or not, but I'm curious about your thoughts. That's the tough part about these vaults because they tell you they're encrypted. They tell you all the safeguards they have on them. And Paul, you bring up a great point it's hard to remember all this data. I mean, think about like if you book on an airline that you don't have a frequent flyer account, the next thing you have to do, you're like, well, what does my name really say on my official government ID? Okay. I pretty much know my own birth date, but do I remember my TSA trusted traveler number? Do I know this? Do I know that? And the next thing you know, you're having to look all this stuff up and 30 minutes later, you're, you haven't even booked your flight yet. And so you can see where there's an incredible appeal when somebody says this vault is protected and this vault is encrypted to sort of put your digital wallet in the hands of one company. So for people who have done that, I hear you. I understand you. I know why you did it because life is complicated. Again, out of an abundance of caution, because we don't know what we don't know, I would do a couple of things, Paul. The first one would be, I would actually go to the credit bureaus. And I would say to the credit bureaus, I need a temporary or permanent freeze on my credit because I've been a victim of theft of my password vault. And they should do that for you for free. So consider putting a freeze. At a minimum, you need to put alerts on those credit reporting bureaus to start seeing if somebody is applying for credit in your name. It could be linked to this particular set of breaches against password vaults. It may be something different, but out of an abundance of caution, those are the types of things I would set up. They're not hard to do. They just take a little bit of time. If you had your banking information in there, consider going into your online banking and set up transaction alerts for deposits. Believe it or not, testing out an account by putting in a small deposit is something that fraudsters do. So I know that sounds weird, like, hey, if you're a criminal, put money in my account, I don't care. That's how they know they have the right account. 
and then the withdrawals and the purchases and the charges start happening. So deposits that don't make sense to you. So you can actually do these alerts where you get them just in time that deposits and different types of transactions, even like a payee being added, that can be another way to sleep a little bit better at night if you had that kind of information in the vault. Teresa, I'm thinking of a small business or a business that's growing really fast and they have to remember, as you say, it's difficult to remember all this stuff for us as individuals, let alone if you're part of a bigger organization. They might be looking for a way to store their passwords, store their sensitive credentials. Would you, in the past, maybe steer them towards password managers? Has that changed now or would it still be the same answer? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, I have in the past recommended, you know, I've always said to people, do your homework and technology alone will not protect you from a cyber attack. Everything is hackable. Nothing is infallible to cyber criminals and nation states. So my advice doesn't change, but I will say, Paul, that when I have advised companies and individuals on the potential for using password vaults, I've told them, consider that the admin email that's tied to the vault is not the email you use for your bank account and other things. Consider having more than one you know, email for different parts of your personal or professional life or your business. The other thing is, what are all the processes around that vault? Don't let that vault be the single point of failure into your company. So for example, you can invest in a piece of hardware. YubiKey by Yubico is a piece of hardware where you could say, you know what? Password vaults are not going to open on our company laptops unless a few elements are in place. The first one, it has to be a company-issued piece of equipment. It's hard for hackers to simulate that. Secondly, when you use your strong password, we're going to tell people in our enterprise, we're only going to you know, have it work off of a certain browser. So if we see you using the wrong browser on our system side, we know we've got an issue. The third is once you type in your strong password, we will not allow that final unlocking of the vault unless you present something like a piece of hardware, like a YubiKey. So I've always recommended multi-layers of multi-factor authentication because you never want to just have one thing be your single point of failure. So if your business is only relying on a password vault and nothing else as part of your multi-factor authentication, you are at risk and you need to rethink your strategy. So a lot of people say to me, well, what do we do now? So the good news is, is there are other options that you can layer in. So if you have systems that will not accept authenticator apps, because not every system does and you still need passwords, that's okay. But a thought is you could, if you're a Google shop, look at Google Authenticator. If you're a Microsoft shop, look at Microsoft Authenticator. And you can require that in addition to the passwords. So that can be another layer of protection. It's much more seamless. It's much more elegant than it used to be in the past. It's a more positive customer experience. And that can be another layer that you can add to that multi-factor authentication. So if, in fact, your employees' credentials from the password vault breaches are in the wrong hands, they don't have every single key to get into your organization. 
Teresa, I feel like I'm hearing a lot of keywords here. And my takeaway, at least, is a password manager might be one piece, but it's only that. It's only one piece. And it really doesn't replace other good practices. You brought up phishing. You brought up multi-factor authentication. You're bringing up these cybersecurity buzzwords, but they're super important. And I'm just curious, have you noticed things change over the years? I'm sure your advice has certainly adapted to the newest threats, things that you see every day. But has your advice changed from maybe going back a few years to now was... MFA maybe wasn't even as big of a thing back then. I know now all my accounts have MFA, but maybe that wasn't back then. And I just want to know what you're thinking. Yeah, no, agreed. You know, it's interesting because I've been doing technology and cybercrime predictions for over 10 years now. And many years ago, I did a prediction that said that mobile phones one day will not be reliable for two-factor authentication. And I remember when I shared that prediction many organizations hadn't even rolled out two-factor authentication using mobile phones yet. And they're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) We're spending all this money and all this disruption and you're telling us it's going out the window. And I said, well, I'm not sure if I have the year right, but I'm telling you there will be sophisticated man in the mobile attacks, you know, man in the middle of man in the mobile attacks where just sending a code to a phone is not going to be enough anymore. And they're like, this is very distressing. What are you talking about? I said, look, Here's the thing. If you look at the criminal profiles, which I've sadly gotten to know kind of the fraudster and the criminal mindset way too well over my years of working. And if you look at them, when we do a better job at basically locking them out, right? As you look at the kill chain of a cybersecurity incident, the better we do at our job, they don't just say, wow, this is getting really hard. You know what? Maybe I should be a good person. Maybe I should give up my life of crime and help grandmothers across the street and bake pies for my neighbor. They just up their A game. And so I saw that coming. And I remember people just being really upset with me with that prediction. So that's one example of where we've all had to change how we think about this. Now, on the bright side, Paul, one thing I will tell you is I love the innovations that have been coming out like Google Authenticator, like Microsoft Authenticator that are so much easier to use. You know, there you are logging in on your laptop and the next thing you know, you get presented with a QR code, you know, a variety of different things, you know, is this you? Just tell me yes on your phone. And it just gives you that extra peace of mind. It works a lot better than it used to. It used to be very clunky to do multi-factor authentication. But guess what, everybody? It's going to change because just like my last prediction, you know, eventually cyber criminals will figure out those workarounds. But what I would say, the other thing that has changed for me over the years, because I was actually very against password vaults. I saw them as a potential single point of failure. And I got more comfortable with them when I knew you could integrate behavioral based analytics and say, well, even if you have the password, you can't open up the vault unless you have certain hardware presented, a certain browser, a certain behavior. You could even block by people's geocoded location or where it says their ISP is or, you know, a variety of different things. So I got more comfortable with it, but my concern was is sort of this lack of understanding that nothing, nothing gives you a cloak of total secrecy, confidentiality, privacy, and security. There is no technology product out there today. And we've seen it now with the password vaults. They should have been unnoticed a while ago. They need to step it up. They're going to have to figure out how to come back from this. 
but also they need to do a little bit more explaining to the people who use the vaults around what the workarounds are going to be. Teresa, one thing I'm thinking about as you say this is you're saying in the past, you were, of course, looking to the future, and now we're in the present. So can we look to the future again and say, what about going passwordless, removing that burden from a lot of people? I know plenty of friends, unfortunately, who set their passwords as very basic words, could be things related to them or their pet's name, even in the worst case. I know a lot of companies, even Android, iOS, Windows, as I was doing some research for this discussion we're having, they can go passwordless and they offer a passkey login, which is kind of the term used around a lot of the stuff. I'm sure you're very familiar with this. Is that something that we're going to see more and more of? Is that a viable future to believe in is going passwordless? It is a viable future. I have some concerns about the architecture that I've seen presented around a passwordless future. So for example, some of the passwordless solutions rely upon collection of biometrics. I am growing increasingly concerned about our ability to protect your and my biometrics. So, you know, my fingerprints are the only ones I have. My iris scan is the only one I have. My voice print is the only one I have. Now, some people may say, well, your voice prints out in the public domain, pictures of you are out there, maybe I can reproduce an iris scan. But there are certain things about my biometrics, you know, when my heart beats, when my heart races, when it doesn't. I'm growing increasingly concerned that we're talking about that as part of a passwordless future. And if someone is able to steal our biometrics and match it with other information that's stolen, how we eradicate somebody from a digital walk-in in our lives is very concerning to me. But I will say some of the things that I'm very encouraged about with passwordless future is by leveraging behavioral-based analytics, we should be able to, using machine learning, data lakes of behavior, behavioral-based scorecards, create profiles of what a typical day of a login would look like for typical users within an organization. And we should be able to, in sort of using real-time computing, be able to match, okay, look, this is not the typical time of day that somebody like Paul logs in, but there's some other things about this login that look legit to us. It's the same device. It's the same operating system. It is an IP address that we've seen Paul on before. Paul is really hard on the keyboard, and we just assessed you know, his keyboard strokes. We also noticed that after a login, there's a little bit of pause because Paul goes and makes a cup of coffee or whatever it is. And so there's some different things in the behavioral-based analytics. We can actually create a profile and say, more than likely, this is Paul. And then when we start to get into a gray area that we could say, this may or may not be Paul. So why don't we surprise Paul with a few ad hoc security questions that we know Paul would be the only one who could answer. And if he takes too long to answer, then maybe it's not Paul. So I think there's some really great trust but verify things that are coming and technology that's going to enable us to both authenticate and authorize who users are. And I want to be really clear about that, Paul, because authentication into a system doesn't mean you are then authorized to view certain pieces of data. And so I want people to be thinking about when we're talking about passwordless, are we talking human to machine? Are we talking machine to machine? And when we talk about passwordless, are we talking about authentication and will you handle authorization separate and distinct? My recommendation, handle it separate and distinct. Teresa, I appreciate you joining me for this podcast and talking more about this. I feel like 
passwords are old and new at the same time because they've been around forever, yet some of the implementations we have for them have changed. And also, as you say, there's a lot of other things surrounding it, like behavioral things and other ways we can analyze logins and things like that. But before we go, I just want to ask you, because we speak to small businesses, medium businesses, we also speak directly to CISOs, as you know. So I'm curious if you have anything particular for them, maybe someone working at a larger organization, running the security for that organization. There's a lot of stuff to say when you're dealing with thousands and thousands of employees. And I'm just curious if you have any specific thoughts for them. Sure. Well, first of all, my hats are off to you. If you're a CISO at a large organization or even small, your job's hard. And every day there's something new to be concerned about. So my hat's off to you for choosing this as a career. It's a really energizing time, even though the threats are changing daily. You can do so much good. So stick with it. On the password front, what I would say, some of the best practices I've seen, and I want to just pass this along to everybody, especially the large organizations, is if you really want to capture everybody's attention around password hygiene, be thinking about ways to relate it to protecting their aging and elderly loved ones and protecting the young adults, teens, tweens in their life. And, you know, really show them how password hygiene can make a huge difference in their family. They will carry that forward into the workplace. We're all used to the compliance and the security and the phishing exercises for the most part, but a great best practice that gets into the hearts and minds, and candidly, it's a great retention tool, is to really show them how password hygiene makes a difference. Give them tips and tools and tricks. Tell them what you do. I mean, don't share with them your passwords, of course, but if you tell them, look, this is a really tough part of our digital lives today, but this is a modern day reality. Here's some things that I do. Here's the advice that I give to my family. Show them the human side of who you are and how you think about these issues. It will resonate. And guess what? Your company will be safer in the process. Teresa, thank you so much. I'm Paul John Spaulding. Joining me was Teresa Payton, the former White House CIO. Listen to more of our podcasts at cybercrime.radio.